last weekend called Ever Grace from the Day You First Heard, which is a, a quote that we pull out of Colossians chapter 1 that we're going to read in just a minute. And we, we introduced the thought last week that the theme of Christmas with Santa Claus, didn't the kids do great with their special? The theme of Christmas with Santa Claus is that you get what you deserve, right? Isn't that how the song goes? He's got a list. He's checking it twice. He knows who's been naughty or nice, and we know which list you're on. Just so you don't think we don't know. All right, come on. But that's the idea with Santa is that you're going to get what you deserve. But the theme of Christmas with Jesus is that he gives what no person could ever earn, and it's called grace. If you've got your Bible, you can turn or swipe your way there, right? Updating my lingo a little bit. Point, swipe, click. All right. Colossians 3, 1, verse 3. This is Paul writing. He says, We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. Verse 6 says, the same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives. And here's the tagline for the series. From the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. All right, so somebody who was here last week who can tell me how this theme of grace is tying in to the pictures and the images on the screen and why we're not just calling it a grace series, but we're calling it ever grace. Anybody want to take a stab at it who was here last week? Dustin, is that your hand up in the back? Yep. Nice. And then that represents grace in what way? Very good. Come on, give it up for Dustin. I know you couldn't hear him, so I'm going to restate his answer. You, you guys really don't clap like you're excited for somebody else to win something, right? Envy is a terrible thing. Santa knows. Just saying. He knows. Are the house lights all the way up? It seems dim in here. Are the house lights up all the way? Yeah? Okay. Just my, my, my 45-year-old eyes. What we're, it ties to this image of the evergreen tree because the two kinds of trees, Dustin was saying, some trees, they change with the environment and the setting that they're in, but not the evergreen. It's a powerful picture of the grace of God. It's one of the great constants in the universe. It's like when you read in the book of Romans and God says that, that people are not going to have any excuse to not believe in God because even the very natural world that he created declares his goodness and declares his glory and declares his existence. And so we look out and we see these evergreen trees and I think one of the reasons why God put them there is to say, look at those and you'll find grace because grace does not change based on the climate of your character. Grace, God's grace towards you and towards me does not change based on the temperature of our spiritual passion. We said last week, one of our definitions of grace that we're putting out as we go through the series is that the grace of God, it accepts all of who we are as we are. He doesn't wait for us to change before acceptance is given to us. What a powerful picture of grace that we find in that. I don't know about you, but sometimes we all have bad days. I have bad days. We know that you have bad days. Grace never has a bad day. Grace never takes the day off. And we need that kind of grace in our lives. 
All right, let's get you thinking in the right direction. You ready for some participation? Right, church is a participatory sport here at the City Life Church. So, so what's one of the heaviest things that you've ever tried to pick up, carry, move, push? While, while, you're, while you're thinking of yours, when we moved here in 2007, we had an entertainment center that we had converted into an armoire, and we bought a three-story townhouse, and that went on the top floor. Was, who, was anybody here part of carry? I know, yeah, yeah. Some of you are still going to a chiropractor today trying to get that thing. And when we had, you know, a lot about our story, we had to abandon that townhouse because it was built with toxic Chinese drywall. We left that there. <laughs> it made it to the third floor, and it remained there. And whoever bought that house through the short sale, they found, I bet they took a chainsaw to it. That's my guess. So it weighed a ton. It weighed a ton. So what's, the, what's some of you, the heaviest thing that you've ever picked up, Paul? Your buddy's 30-gun gun safe. Oh, yeah, that's heavy. That makes my back sore thinking about it. We had a, a boat and a, it was on a trailer and it's, Sean had slipped and it fell on his trailer. Oh my goodness. And I had God super, I'm serious. I mean, yeah. one of those things where you just had to get it off. A boat on a trailer and her husband was stuck under it and she had to pick it up to lift it off. You need to call April to help you when you're moving. <laughs> you two guys right here. <laughs> Chad's TV, I moved it twice. Yeah. You're still bitter about that a little bit, Steve. I can see. Grace. Grace is what we're talking about. Right? His TV, you had to move it twice. Did you have something too, Chad? A piano. That's heavy. Yeah. Somebody else. Dan. A printing press. Oh, wow. That's, all right, let's move to the other side. Come on, let's move to the other side. Anybody in the middle as I'm passing through? No? All right. Okay. That was your chance. Denise? A recliner sofa from the second floor. Yeah. Ouch. Dustin? Dustin, leg pressed 1,005 pounds. I don't even want to think about that. Catherine? Did you hear that? Child abuse right there. <laughs> Carrying bags of cement from the store into the house. Yeah. But it was still lighter than a boat in a trailer, wasn't it, April? April's a mother. That's great. That's, that's fantastic. That's awesome. That's so good. That's good. So, so let, me, let me tell you what I think one of the heaviest things that you're ever going to pick up in life is going to be. Some of our weightiest moments will be when grace demands. We don't think about those two words together, which is where we're going tonight. When grace demands that we bear the heaviness of the lives of others. Let's read that again. Some of the weightiest moments, some of the weightiest moments will be when grace demands that we bear the heaviness of the lives of others. Father, as we dig into the truth of your grace tonight, may it be that we would not shrink back from the demands that you would place upon us that comes with the grace that you give. And may it be in the moments like many of us have been doing this week when you invite us in to bear the weight of another person's life that there would be a supernatural strength that you would impart to us that's just as much of an impart of your grace, God, as the liberty that it gives, as the demand that comes. May it be that you would find us faithful and we would bear it up well. 
All right, come on. All right, so we're going to dig around in some more details. Like we said last week, when we dig deep into the details, it's because we're readying ourselves for revelation. Nate, Nate's not here tonight. He's, he's traveling, but he always makes fun of me because, you know, one of the sayings I like to, to say is that, you know, what we like to say here at the City Life Church. You ever heard me say that? Nate's always last because he says usually the things I say after that we've never said before at the City Life Church. So I said, yeah, but that's how we get sayings going here. Right? So in honor of Nate, what we like to say here at the City Life Church is that when we go deep into the details, we're readying for Revelation. All right, you ready? All right, we're going to start in Galatians 6, verse 2. Then we're going to dig around in Romans. Then we're going to jump back to verse 1 and then to verse 10, and you're going to see how it comes together. And we're going to spend some time in Hosea a little bit tonight as well. All right, so Galatians 6, verse 2. Galatians 6, verse 2. Share each other's burdens... And in this way, and listen to what Paul says here, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Now, this is interesting here because if you dig around in the rest of the New Testament, you're not going to find this phrase, the law of Christ, anywhere else. Right? Because everywhere else when Paul talks about the law, he's speaking of the law of Moses. And typically when he's talking about the law of Moses, he holds it in contrast with grace, not in comparison to because the law of Moses is about expectations and consequences. Grace is about liberty and acceptance. But as we see here, it is not without demands. Paul here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reaches into the language that he normally reserves to speak of the Mosaic law, which just by virtue of what it is carries with it just a, a theme of demands, he borrows that language and overlays it on top of this idea of grace, and he creates this phrase, like Paul would have said, what we like to say here, right, at the church, right, in Galatia, is we call it the law of Christ. Because grace at times, although it is about liberty, there are times when that liberty places upon us a great demand. All right, let's jump over to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read it out of the Holman Christian Standard Bible for the first couple of verses, and then I want to jump back over to the New Living Translation. Each of them render it a little bit differently, and I, th I think it gives us some clarity. All right, so Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus. Many of us are familiar with that, right? We grew up in the King James. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. So, right, so here he's contrasting this idea of the law of Moses and this idea of grace. Now verse 3, jumping over to the New Living Translation. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do, and he sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. That's all, we spent a lot of time talking about that last week. He did this so that the judgment required of the law would be fully satisfied, right? Because the law of Moses is about expectation and consequences who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Verse 5, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace 
For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Verse 9, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. You're tracking with that? So Paul opens up this dialogue by saying, hey, there's no condemnation in Christ. Because that's the very essence of the idea of grace, which is where we started last week, that the grace of God accepts all of who we are as we are, but he doesn't stop there. He continues on, right? Because real grace demands transformation in our lives. Real grace expects change from us. Grace is not just a license to then go out in the world and live however we want to, because with grace comes the supernatural power to change us. So we can become the people that God has created us to be. There is a demand that often comes with grace. All right, let's jump back over to Galatians. Galatians. Let's read one of the examples that Paul gives here of a demand of grace. Verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, if any other believer, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly Help that person back onto the right path. There is a demand that grace brings to our lives in a church family. There are times where we see somebody that it's going astray. We see their life maybe slipping back into an old pattern. It's not an easy thing to engage that person in a conversation to share with them the concern that you have. We say here that we, we like to call those conversations when you reach out to someone, could I love on you a little bit, Right? That helps remind you what your attitude needs to be to them, and it helps set them up to know that the things that you're sharing with them comes out of love. We want to be a church that lets the demand of grace take hold of our lives. We want to be a church where we're willing to step into the demand that grace brings. And if we need to be the one that steps in to carry the burden of another person, that God is going to find us faithful. That, yes, God has accepted us who we are as we are, but then God says to us, hey, I don't need you to be perfect before I begin to use you to bear the weight of other people's lives. All right, let's jump over to verse 10. Paul wants to make sure. So he wraps up this part of his letter by coming back to the principle. So verse 1 gave us an example. Verse 10 points back to the principle. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Paul is saying here, do not shy away from bearing the burden of other people's lives. It's weighty, it's heavy, it feels like Catherine dragging bags of cement out of the car into her house, right? It feels like Chad pushing on a piano. It's not something that we wake up in the morning and say, I hope I get a chance to do this. But there are times where God points to you and says, I want you to be the one that bears this weight for another. You can turn to Hosea. And while you're turning there, I want to read this to you to set this up. This is a powerful story. When you go from moving to seeing the Bible as something that's maybe a, just a, a book of fables to embracing it for what it really is, a book of history, when you begin to, yes, it's history that is symbolic, and yes, it's history that has other meanings that go with it, but when you begin to say, hey, these are real people, 
And the stories that are told of them are not exaggerations. They're not hyperbole. These are real people and real stories, especially when we read books like Hosea. It changes the impact that this book has on your life. I want to set it up. I want you to imagine that your son, an adult, not living at home, successful, a leader in his church, a perfect picture of a godly man, never given to any excesses, self-control, devotion, integrity, generosity, a truly devoted follower of Christ, are words and phrases often used to describe him. Sounds like the young men at the City Life Church. Come on. The only blessing that seems to have escaped him in life thus far is a wife. And then you get a call, an invitation to a celebration dinner. And God has led him to just the right one. Planning to be married, he wants you to meet his fiance. You arrive at dinner and are surprised at how strangely familiar she looks to you, and not only you, but it seems she has everyone else's attention too. And then it dawns on you, you've seen her picture on the news. It couldn't be. This is the woman who was just released on bail for running the largest prostitution ring in the city. No, it couldn't be her, could it? I want you to feel what it would be like for you to be the parent that would be in a room and that's the person that's just been introduced to you because that's the story that God gives to us about Hosea. Listen to this in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and then I'm going to jump to 2-5 and then chapter 3. If you've not read this book, you should spend some time in this. The Lord gave this message to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the years of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, who were kings of Judah, and Jeroboam, and Jehoash, who were kings of Israel. Why is that detail given to us? Because the writer wants us to understand, hey, this is history here. This isn't a fable. This isn't made-up stuff to teach you a lesson. These are real people who heard from God in a very real way. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute. It's not the word that you're looking for from the Lord when you wake up in the morning. So that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. You feel the weightiness of that? Chapter 2, verse 5. So we move forward through time. Their mother is a shameless prostitute. Now we know that, but listen to what it says. And became pregnant in a shameful way, And she said, I'll run after other lovers and sell myself to them for food and water and for clothing of wool and linen and for olive oil and drinks. And so what you find here in this story that Gomer has returned back to her old way of life. Hosea has taken her in. Hosea has given her an opportunity to to start life afresh and to start life anew. She's began to have children with Hosea. They had multiple children together. But even in this life, even experiencing a grace that she did not deserve, accepting who she was as she was, all of who she was, 
this pattern of life had a grip and had a hold on her. And then the next thing you know, she's back out into an adulterous lifestyle. She has children outside of her marriage. And if that's not enough, she says, I'm just going to give myself back to this lifestyle of prostitution. Now, there's a part of us, there's a part of me, I can't speak for you, there's a part of me that wants God to say to Hosea, you've done enough, right? I mean, there's a part of me that wants God to say, Hosea, you've done everything you could do. There's a part of me that wants this text to move in a direction where God says to Hosea, Hosea, I've already asked too much of you. The burden that I've asked you to carry as a godly man who's kept himself as a prophet to the nations to go out and marry a prostitute, just asking you to, I know that that was just beyond what I should have asked. You're free now. Let her go. I want God to say that to Hosea because if he says that to Hosea, And it creates a sense in me that that's what he'll say to me when it feels as though the burden that he places upon me is more than I can bear. But that's usually not the God that we find in this book. Sometimes it's at the moments where we feel like he's already asked too much. He's just getting warmed up. Chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to me, listen to the language here, go and love your wife again. (laughs) He doesn't just say, take her in. He doesn't just say, go let her live with you, provide for her, love her, he says. Give yourself emotionally to her again. It just keeps getting heavier and heavier, doesn't it? Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of of wine. I want you to see the story. So Hosea has to go into town and find his wife, bringing with him the resources that he's going to need to buy her back. I want you to see it. Can you imagine being a husband that goes into a brothel Going from room to room to room to room to room trying to find your wife. Not so you can shoot her, right? Come on, right? So that you can buy her back. How do you think he find her? How, how, who do you think she might have been with? The weight of the demand of grace at times in this life feels like it's more than we can bear. And God says to you and to me, welcome to my grace. 
there is a weightiness of grace. There's a, there's a seriousness of grace, right? We left last week with this sense of God accepts me, all of who I am, as I am. And we want your heart to be captured with a sense of peace and a sense of joy and a sense of freedom and a sense of liberty that God would invite you into such a relationship that we don't deserve because of the penalty that Christ paid on our behalf on the cross 2,000 years ago. But we want you to understand that when you step into that relationship, God begins to speak to us and he begins to say, okay, you ready to do some work? You ready to get going? Because grace isn't retirement. It's when the work really begins. The work that he asks you to begin to do in your life and the work that he begins to ask you to do in the world. Grace has a demand, the law of Christ. So you know this week's been a hard week for our church. Many of you stood with us together on Friday as we had a service to celebrate Ian's life, Ryan and May's son, who passed away this week. So when I was at the hospital, there was a moment where Ryan looked at me and he said, do you know what Ian means? I said, no, I don't. He said, it means God is gracious. And that's the name that we chose for him. He wasn't saying it as a complaint. He wasn't saying it as an accusation, as if God wasn't keeping his end of the bargain. He was saying it as a declaration of faith. He is gracious. If you've been walking with him for any, any amount of time, you know that if Hebrews 11 were to be edited in any way and people got to be added onto that list, Ryan and May's name would be included. Amazing people of faith. God is gracious. And sometimes that grace is heavy. But tonight's not about Matthew 11. You familiar with this verse, Matthew 11? I got it in here. See, this is what some of us want God to say to us when we find ourselves in Hosea-like moments. Matthew 11, verse 28, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And the King James, right, those of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? We like that kind of grace. And there's a place for that kind of grace. Verse 29 says, All of you take up my yoke and learn from me because I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. Where was this God in Hosea chapter 3? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, we like those verses in the Bible, don't we? Right? And that's there and it's true. There are times where we find ourselves carrying a burden that we're not supposed to. That's what Romans 8 started out about. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ. For some of you, the burden that you carry is a sense of condemnation, a sense of unworthiness from the mistakes of your past. And Jesus says, hey, put that down. I already carried that for you. Quit picking it up. Your, your, the old lifestyle sometimes that you go back to 
Maybe not as, as desperate as Gomer, but we all have patterns that we find ourselves slipping back to in certain moments of our lives. And Jesus says, hey, don't pick that up. That's not the burden that I want you to carry. He says, I've got a different way for you to live. But, but then there are times where the burden that we carry is the one that God has given to us, and it seems to be overwhelming. That's what Luke 23 is about. We shared this verse together with the worship team last week. Coming in, knowing the crisis that a family that we love dearly was in, it was a hard week last week. So we got together as a team and we read out of Luke 23, verse 26, and I want you to hear it today because this is part of grace. As they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. Come in the weightiness of things of life take us by surprise sometimes, don't they? We're just like Simon. We're just coming in from the countryside. Everything's just going great. And then all of a sudden, something seizes. I love the language there. Seizes him, makes him, forces him, doesn't give him a choice. A demand was placed upon him. And oh, the privilege he was given to carry the cross of Christ to Golgotha. Can you imagine, of all the people in all of history, he got to be the one. Now, do you think he knew what was happening? You better believe he didn't. He's just thinking this person is another criminal who's being crucified. He has no earthly idea of the moment of redemption that he's been invited into. And that's the way it is for us often, isn't it? The weightiness and the demand and the burden that sometimes we're asked to carry, we can't even understand everything that it's about. But if God puts us on us, I'm telling you, it's about something eternal. And if Jesus, who was perfect, found his physical body faltering at a moment where he carried a burden that God had asked him to carry and he needed somebody else to help him, how much more do we need others to help us? It's a powerful picture of the grace of God. There's burdens that God asks you to carry for your own life, but there are other times where he asks you to carry a burden for someone else. And that's when it really gets heavy because it just feels unfair because you're doing it for somebody else. There are people that are surrounding us every day. They're like Jesus on the road. They've got a cross that God wants them to bear, a burden that they're supposed to carry, and they're faltering and they're falling and they're failing, and that's when he looks at you, and that's when he looks at me, and he says, you carry that for them for a little while. And there has got to be something inside of us, like with Simon, who's allowed to be seized, who is allowed to have a demand placed on us that doesn't belong. That's the picture of grace. And it's a picture that God is asking us to give to the world. It's hard, it's unfair, 
It's the heavy lifting. But may it be that we would be a church whose backs are splintered with the burdens of other people for the greater glory of God and the story of grace that it writes in our world. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Some of our weightiest moments will be when grace demands that we bear the heaviness of the lives of other people. So this is how we're going to carry some burdens tonight. There's lots of ways that you can help shoulder the burden of someone else. The church has set up a special fund for Ryan and May, and we hope that you're going to make that part of your Christmas budget this year. 100% of that money is going to go to that family. When the last thing they need to worry about right now in the time of, of loss that they're in is having to pay any bill, let them get away. We, we just want to shower them with generosity. You can get those funds to a leader in the church. It's going to get to them, 100%, all of it. You can give on the website. It's one of the ways that you can bear the burden of another person. You give out of the generosity of your life. Another way that you bear the weight of the burden of other people is that you spend time on your knees on their behalf. One of the greatest ways that you can help bear the burden of people around you is that you begin to lift them up in prayer. And you might say tonight, Fred, well, I'm, I'm not used to praying a lot. But I think one of the best ways to help you learn how to find your prayer voice is, is, is to imagine if you had an audience with someone who had the power to do anything that you asked. If you had an audience with someone and, and there was no limit to their resources, they, they could do anything, anything. And then they also loved that person that you were coming to ask for even more than you. You'll find the words. You with me? And that's the audience that you have with the creator of the universe. So we've got some stations that are set up. We've built this all this time into the back end of this service. There's three stations on either side. You'll notice this station here is a little bit unique. It just says the question why on the placard. And there's some index cards and some pins there. You might have a why question that you're carrying. Why this and why that. God's not afraid of those questions. You don't have to put your name on it. Just write your question on there and let that be your prayer. Just leave it on that table and say, God, I'm, I'm giving you this doubt. It's in my heart. There's a placard somewhere in here for military families. Find the words believing that God has the power to do anything that he can because he does and he invites us into these places of prayer. And when you begin to give your life in moments of prayer for people who are suffering around you, it's one of the ways that you take up and bear that burden for them. Stand with me as we pray. Father, we thank you that you inspired the Apostle Paul in your letter to the Philippian church where you said, be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything, but in all things, through prayer and supplication to, with thanksgiving, to let our requests be known unto you, and that your peace that passes all understanding will keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And we, we love that verse there, Father, because it doesn't say that, that when we step into those moments of prayer that change comes. You, you just say when we step into the moments of prayer, peace comes. And sometimes it's your peace that what we need more than anything else it may be that tonight as we step into this moment of prayer working our way from one station to another finding the words to pray for people around us just holy spirit as you would inspire us that those people wherever they might be would just begin to feel a weight that lifts up off their shoulder they might not ever know why till they get to the other side but that tonight 
that we would let grace, the law of Christ, make a demand of us, and that we would carry the heaviness of another. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together, and let's pray.